Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we interview technology and business leaders uh, about what's going on in the world, what they've been up to. And uh, usually that revolves around product and, and, and blockchain, crypto, or just any uh, new technology that's out there. Uh, we are in the world where, where things have changed quite a bit over the last couple months. Uh, with that, I'm, I'm happy to welcome um, Jim B. I asked you your name before we started, and I was committed to saying it, and I didn't want to butcher it. So, <laughs> no <laughs> I'll introduce yourself, Jim. Yeah, sure. But you're doing some really interesting things with 5G and digital transformation, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that because, yeah, the, the world has transformed, and there is definitely a need for more uh, digital transformation. Uh, we, we do that a little bit ourselves. So, excited to talk with you here today. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Jonathan. I appreciate it. So, hey, everyone. My name is uh, Jim Brismitzis. I am the founder of the 5G Open Innovation Lab here in Seattle. I founded the lab as uh, a way for uh, developers to engage in what the future of 5G is capable of and beyond just connectivity, uh, the future of edge computing and AI. Um, we have partnerships with T-Mobile and Intel and Avanon. Pacific Northwest National Lab and a bunch of other folks that we'll get into in just a little bit. But hey, Jonathan, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show today. Talk a little bit about the lab, talk a lot about where the opportunity for 5G is going. And uh, and perhaps if you're a developer or startup, why should you, you should be thinking about it as a future platform. Of course. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm excited to talk about it. Excited to talk about the, the conspiracy behind 5G. I'm just kidding. Sure. I, I actually am a little bit, to be honest, because there, there is quite a few uh, conspiracies there, but I, I don't sure. personally believe in it. But I apologize for laughing if I'm offending anybody. No no but uh, before we get into that side of things, Jim, um, you know, I'd love if you could kind of just touch quickly on your uh, how you just got into um, technology to begin with. Like, sure. And then, you know, why is 5G interesting to you? Um, uh, and, and yeah, let's just start from there. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there and I'll try to make it as succinct as I can. I, I actually grew up born and raised in Toronto, Canada. My first job was with a, a firm there called Nortel Networks, which at the time was yeah. a fairly large and influential um, uh, technology company in, in Toronto and in fact, Canada and, and probably in the world as well. 30% of the Toronto stock exchange valuation at one time was governed by Nortel's value. So that's how, that's how big it was. Um, yeah. And from there, I, I got recruited away to a company called PeopleSoft and eventually moved to the United States in 2003. Um, so I had been in enterprise pretty much all of my career. In 2005, true story, I went home to make a sandwich. I was living in California with my wife, Lindsay, and I got a recruiting call from Microsoft. And it was a few months after that that we decided to move up to Seattle. So I was with Microsoft for 13 and a half years. Did a lot of roles while I was there. I was in segment marketing and product management. Um, I ran a server channel for the OEM business, which is a 20 plus billion annual business. For Microsoft, my piece of the pie was about 850 million a year that I managed. And then I joined um, the early Microsoft Ventures team. So the first team that kicked off Microsoft's venture aspirations. And I was part of that for about 18 months. And then from there, I went on to launch the Microsoft for Startup program in uh, in the us and eventually in canada as well so building product um building ecosystems at scale and investing or or things that are were really near and dear to my heart all along that i had been sort of paying attention just geeking out on where 5g was going more from a device and you know augmented reality and all these other fun things but as i drew on my enterprise experience i realized more and more that um there was a three converging forces that were coming together, similar to converging forces we all see in the past in the transition from 3G to 4G. 
and that the impact in the enterprise was going to be quite substantial, particularly around enterprises digitally transforming, taking analog business processes and digitizing them, uh, going from labor to autonomous, uh, as an example, just a whole bunch of big opportunities. And yet as a developer or as a startup, there wasn't any real clear pathway into discovering what 5G was. And so um, after, after some soul searching and talking with a few uh, startup colleagues of mine and friends at Microsoft and Amazon and eventually at T-Mobile, it became pretty clear there was a need uh, to create this community here in Seattle, uh, drawing on our heritage in cloud computing, but also drawing on, our, on Seattle's heritage for the wireless industry. Right, Macaw and... and Absolutely, Western and Wireless, Voice Stream, a lot of um, Craig McCaw and his team at the time really stitched together what was the wireless industry here in the United States. I think it was at one point that one of the I won't name the names of one of the large wireless carriers today said that, you know, the wireless business was a fad and go away, but um, hmm. obviously that's, that's quite, quite changed. Um, so yeah, so that's, <clears throat> that's my background and how I kind of yeah. came into this space um, and just working like yourself, working with communities and building communities was something that, you know, was really interesting to me. I enjoyed doing quite a bit. Um, totally. And then I jumped into the fire with where, where 5G is going. Let's let's dive into that a little bit because uh, you know it, it seems as you know whenever we get when like two G to three G three G to four G four G and and so forth it's um, it always seemed like yes like this next wave and it was interesting and there's there's always hype around it don't get me wrong but sure. it, it seems as though the hype from four G to five G has been much higher than uh, any other of those upgrades uh, 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 we can say so. Why is that? Is it is it that much more powerful? Is it because the timing of where people are in their digital transformation as well? Um, you know, I, I've heard a lot about how 5G is basically going. You know, you're going to be able to operate almost like a desktop computer wirelessly, essentially from your phone. Yeah. Uh, if you could kind of touch a little bit on that to provide the context. Yeah. So to understand where 5G is going, let's take a step back into the transition of 3G to 4G. Um, there was three converging forces at that time that I, that I spotted. In, in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense, but when we were all going through it, um, it, was hard to, it was hard to identify with. So 1G and 2G, the G represents generations of wireless standards. So the first generation and second generation were primarily voice. Um, platforms. When we got into 3G, we had we seen the first introduction of commercial data, so voice and data in wireless. Um, but the data piece was kilobits per second. It was paltry in terms of speed and connectivity. And by means of uh, ecosystem, there really wasn't an ecosystem around it. The handsets at the time, if you remember those big bricks or the Motorola flip phones, um, there really wasn't any real need for, for data on those phones because there was no apps. Sure. Um, and then Early, early on, and Microsoft actually had the early lead in, uh, in mobile phones with its Windows CE and Windows Phone operating systems. But early on, they started to develop an app ecosystem. Um, and I forget the specific phone models, but they started to become the early days of the smartphones. They weren't the flat screen phone devices we see today. They still had a keyboard, but there were opportunities to run applications on that. And those applications are not the Ubers that we appreciate today. It was more applications for device management, a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. My opinion, developers started seeing that as a new frontier for developing apps. These are the same developers, and, and I'm generalizing here, but sure. these are the same developers that were building apps for Windows and Mac um, laptops and um, building apps for enterprises. And they saw that um, as, as more and more people were buying these 
quote unquote smartphones, the early days of the smartphones, that there was a new market to actually move their applications into. And so what we started to see, what I started to see at Microsoft, that there, there was a lot more interest in kind of where the app developer's mindset was going from desktop PC to, to mobile. In addition to that, the internet was really starting to take off as well, right? We were all kind of discovering what the internet was. Pets.com, one of the famous you know, stories of the internet generation was going out. And what the internet made possible for us as a society was that we didn't have to be tethered to our PCs anymore. We could simply just be out and about. So a lot of the sort of the new internet economy was also spiking as well. And, that, and apps, app developers were looking at that in, in Silicon Valley, making a lot of money, creating a lot of new uh, platforms. The other big thing that played out though was that in 2007, Steve Jobs walked on stage with the very first iPhone. And that set the standard for what smartphones were. And from that, we saw the Android ecosystem blow up. Microsoft uh, tried real hard with Windows Phone. I still believe Windows Phone was one of the best operating systems on the planet. We missed out though on the application developer side and that was ultimately- the Well, you know, what's interesting on, on that comment that you make there is sometimes it, that's like a really interesting lesson in like in product development, right? It's like the, sometimes the best doesn't win, right? In the sense of like, hey, um, the operating system very likely could have been the best one, but that's where like the branding and the marketing and like the traction all starts to, to happen as well. You bet, Jonathan. I've always said that developers determine the platforms, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is not played out against Microsoft only. It's played out against other big sure. players. Sure. Yeah, as yeah. Well. You can say that for anybody. Yeah. So when when you had when you had app interest and developer interest shifting from from desktop PCs to mobile, you had the emergence of the sort of the internet economy as, as sort of one big force. You had the next big force was the early entrance of the iPhone, which really kicked off the whole app ecosystem with the app store and all the new capabilities you can actually do in mobile. 3G's transition to 4G was really the lightning run, right? Because we went from kilobits of seconds of, of data transmission capabilities to megabytes. And that was a big deal. Now you could order your car using Uber. You could find a place to rent using Airbnb. You could do commerce like shop on amazon.com on your phone. So all of these things sort of converged together. Independently, I would be hard pressed to think that those uh, those independent um, activities would have led to some big boom. It really took three things to come together to really change the market. So if you subscribe to that thinking, 5G is even bigger. And it's not bigger in consumer. Yes, our Facebook feeds and stuff like that will run faster. It's absolutely critical in where enterprise is going. And that's where I think it was um, Gartner that reported earlier this year, $3.74 trillion is being spent worldwide on mm. enterprise IT spend. So there's a huge, wow. huge opportunity. The other huge opportunity is that if you're a carrier today, it doesn't matter where you are, you're spending literally billions of dollars building out network infrastructure. You're building an infrastructure that is in all parts of any country that you're operating in. I think here in the US, um, T-Mobile alone has, and don't quote me on this because I think I could be wrong, but they have north of 70,000 towers, macro cell towers around the United States. Well, that's 70,000 new locations for servers. And what, what I'm pointing to here is edge computing is a big deal. Yeah. And so when I was at Microsoft running the Microsoft for Startups program, I had seen sort of two big trends that were emerging. And then I saw 5G being the light again. The first trend was more and more developers were trying to push their applications closer to the edge. The early days of that was for use cases like autonomous vehicles. You didn't want to take data from an autonomous vehicle 
and round robin it to a, a centralized data center. Despite the fact that these public cloud platforms are amazing and they have fast connectivity and everything else, the, the, the truth of the matter is you're still traversing data hundreds of miles to a data center for it to be processed, made sense of, and then brought back to the vehicle. Well, in that amount of time, uh, you know, something could, could go wrong. And okay. so more, more and more, and that's just one use case of many, but more and more uh, I saw developers trying to find how do they push their applications closer to where their users were whether it was an autonomous vehicle, autonomous factory, what have you. Most of that was focused on enterprise. The other big trend that I saw was, um, this was back when I launched Microsoft for startups in 2014, AI or artificial intelligence was being sort of dabbled on and experimented with uh, by startups. Either they were deploying bots inside their applications or using some computer vision or doing big data analysis. A lot of that was just trying to understand the capabilities of artificial intelligence. Well, now I, I think it's safe to say that there are AI capabilities built into almost every application today. And the reason for that is we as humans can only ingest so much data. And sure. the, the ability to actually harvest data uh, is a lot bigger today than it has ever been. And so AI has become... Also, like in addition to that, it's, it's, um, it's like our expectation of information is so much higher. Like our expectation for information to be processed for us is so much higher that you just, if you don't have that AI, it's like, why would you even use that? Right. You it's know, even, we want yeah. things to happen at that really quick rate. So you're absolutely right. And I think our expectation in the next wave is, is less on, Hey, I've got all this data and thanks for telling me that my water is broken in my house. The next big step is do something about it. Exactly. Right? And that's where the machines really want that's exactly. where machines are really going to go, right? So, so pushing applications to the edge, big deal. More data being collected from the edge. Um, I think I had, when I was talking to Boeing a little while ago, um, I, I think they had shared with us that, that every plane and every flight generates something like two to four terabytes of data. And these are just like systems data off the, the right. performance of the aircraft or what have you. And they need that data. So every time they, you know, a plane lands, it's got about 30, 45 minutes to turn around before its next flight it's hard for them to actually extract that data. And that data is really important information. It could help mechanics spot any sort of maintenance issues that need to, to happen. Uh, if they wanted to refresh their infotainment system with new content, right. they'd be able to do that. So well, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I'm surprised by that quantity because when you think of, at least in my head, when I think of the data that would be pulled down from you know a flight, in my head, I'm just imagining like big long spreadsheets of data, right? As opposed Huge. to like, you know, yeah. if it was like tons of video files or things like that, perhaps, but like, it does make sense, right? There's super complex systems. Of course, like it would take a lot of data. It, it would, it would, it would yeah. take a lot of data. So you had, you had two major converging forces and the third was 5G and it's not just because of the speed or latency performance. That's what everyone reads about in the press. There's something happening behind the scenes that not many people are paying attention to. And this is where, this is what kind of lit my interest up. I read um, 3GPP, 3GPP is a, a standards organization globally that sets the standards that are adopted by carriers for each of the generations of wireless standards. Um, and so they were authoring, I think it was release 15 at the time when I read it. And what I discovered, Jonathan, was that the underlining infrastructure, so beyond the phones that you use today that connect to the towers, the, the operations behind that had gone from what we used to call at Microsoft appliance-based servers, right? You would go to a an Ericsson or Nokia or whomever, and you would buy their evolved pack of cores and you'd buy their RAN and buy all this stuff. And most of that was fixed purpose. If it's an Ericsson box, it was labeled Ericsson and it ran Ericsson. 
your ability to run different applications on that wasn't as uh, useful than just buying a generalized x86 server hardware from a Dell or an HP or an Intel or whomever and running any application you want. So that transition was really starting in the 4G world and in 5G, the underlying um, networks are becoming much more virtualized, container driven, and then on the edge where the RANs are, the radio access networks, those are all becoming software defined. Now, if you take if you take that model, just simply look at it not as a telco but as a cloud person, that's cloud, right? Cloud is a bunch of servers that are orchestrated using software uh, running application workloads. That's cloud. And so I looked at that and I said, holy shit. Pardon my French, there's a lot of opportunity here. I'm a developer and I want to build an edge application and I want to use AI and I want that application to be as close as it possibly can uh, to, to where my users are. The cloud, by way of what carriers are eventually moving into, is a fantastic opportunity to do so. Yeah. So um, that's what I, that, that was for me one of the things that really lit the opportunity up. What I discovered was, um, that there was this big gap between a developer and a carrier. And while the carriers have built some developer programs, there wasn't really a following for developers and carriers, much like you would expect today with developers and cloud providers. And so it, it was my mission to go build that community because there is a huge opportunity for them to build alongside carriers who are closest to where end customers are. And one thing I do want to make clear is this is not a uh, you know, a, a, a telco is going to go compete with a hyperscaler. This is more of a complement, right? And and from our standpoint, what was needed was to build that developer ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, it makes it, it's yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And you know, like you said, when we think of five G, we do think of telcos as like the main consumer or or, or uh, gateway, I guess, to a, to a five G network. But sure. right, like when. It, we're going to see all the major players really thinking about uh, how 5G is used, either if they're on the app layer and they're like, you know, being supportive or if they're on the platform layer, uh, it, it just makes a lot of, a lot of sense there. And so, you know, a lot of t people, when they think of 5G, they really do think about the carrier or these big enterprise, but what about startups? You know, how can startups really start thinking about 5G either in their existing platforms or, like thinking about the products that, you know, if there's a founder sitting here looking for their next idea to work yeah. on, what are some problems that they should be looking to solve uh, in 5G? That's a great question. So, um, and we're actually recruiting for our, our fall batch. We launched our, our, our spring batch in May of this year, and we're actually two weeks out from the end of next week, actually closing our, our first batch. Um, the, the, thing that I, the thing that I look for is I'm looking for enterprise startups at the core of what these people do is they're building enterprise technology, solving enterprise problems. They come to the lab because they see 5G and edge and then eventually artificial intelligence being enablers. And they want access to what those environments look like so they can build against those environments. So I'll give you an example. One of our startups called TechDial has developed an augmented reality platform so that frontline workers who have tribal knowledge in how to operate a piece of machinery or to work some business process, they can capture that knowledge and then share it with those who are coming up through the workforce and relatively new, but need to learn from their tribal knowledge. It's called Tactile and their platform's called Manifest. Now Tactile uses Magic Leap and HoloLens and so on and so forth. And if you track HoloLens, just recently they announced that they're going to make the HoloLens 2 5G enabled. I think they're doing it by way of a dongle that plugs into the back of, of that. So, Here's a company called Tactile that's built a, a, some software and a great platform for a specific use case 
But what they've realized is that their enterprise customers are increasingly going to re require wireless connectivity for that platform to really thrive and make sense of. And so they came to us because there wasn't a place for them to go and experiment and, and learn about what 5G is and how to use it and how to exploit it to make Manifest an even stronger platform. That's one example of 16 others that I can point to that are all enterprise-focused startups that realize that connectivity is going to be a big part of, of their future. That goes without saying in the IoT world, that goes without saying in an application world. So another example I'll give you real quick is we have a startup in our batch called Transparent Path. And Transparent Path is actually using blockchain with uh, field sensors that is put on the side of food. And so let's say you're harvesting a head of lettuce, a big field of it, uh, they're creating that up, they're putting sensors on it that can measure humidity and temperature and time and altitude and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they're adding that information into a blockchain. And all throughout that food's journey from harvest through its supply chain and processing to the retail stores, it's always being tracked. And why that's important? Food spoilage is a big part of where this industry has a lot of um, waste. And when mm -hmm. we have unfortunate outbreaks due to some sort of bacterial infection or what have you, uh, what ends up happening is the industry ends up trashing a whole bunch of good food to take care of a small amount of really bad food. In return, as consumers, when you pick up that head of lettuce, you don't know if that head of lettuce has been properly cared for in its journey from farm to table. And so they've created a proof score so that any, um, any consumer can just go and scan the, the, the piece of food and know that throughout its entire journey, it's been well refrigerated, it's been, it's been stored yeah. And, yeah. and so on and so forth. And that's all using blockchain. So this is something that Transparent Path went to go build as a real solution for food trust, realizing, oh snap, to have all of those sensors connected, it's gonna be a wireless play. And that's where 5G becomes you know, a big opportunity. So I, I can right. go on and on for, for days, but <clears throat> the, the big message I wanna land is, we're looking for enterprise startups. That's what we care about. And those enterprise startups are realizing that better connectivity in wireless is going to be a big play. The last thing I'll make a comment on is, as I got deeper into this, I discovered that there was a, a, a building trend. And I think this trend is, is here to stay for a while. And that is that large enterprises are increasingly moving off of Wi-Fi into cellular connectivity. So take, for instance, a large manufacturing area. Uh, instead of being blanketed in Wi-Fi 5 and soon to be Wi-Fi 6, they're augmenting that with their own private cellular network. So think of a T-Mobile for an enterprise. Um, and that's really interesting because now you have 5G capabilities in a manufacturing site. So as you're moving big pieces of machinery around, you have to drag wires to go connect them. You have a lot more dynamic um, ability to collect data off of IoT sensors and make sense of it real time. Right. So it changes the game completely. And enterprise- So do they just put like a, do they just put towers outside of their facility? It's called indoor cellular. And in some cases, if the facility is large, so there is a large oil and gas um, energy producer that we've had one of our startups been working with that they're covering entire oil fields uh, with 5G connectivity because they need to be able to collect a lot of that data in real time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense yeah. why you do that. So, um, you know, I'm curious as to NASA and T-Mobile who are part of your organization, like. What, what gets them interested in this? Um, you know, it seems obvious, but I'm curious, like why, why are they interested in this initiative that you're putting together? Yeah, so T-Mobile um, has been a fantastic partner of ours from literally day one. Uh, they have been quite interested in understanding what developer capabilities um, they could enable via their future 5G platform. 
Um, and secondly, their T-Mobile for Business unit um, has a uh, strong interest in understanding where are enterprises of the future going, where's the ecosystem going, and how do they enable the platform for that ecosystem to thrive inside a T-Mobile environment? So it's, it's, it's part, hey, we'd like to get close enough to the, um, to the developer ecosystem, understand what their needs are gonna be in the future to really leverage the capabilities that they're building out their 5G network nationwide. And secondly, T-Mobile for Business is quite interested in understanding where enterprise innovation is going as a way for their growth and their goals uh, from, a, from an enterprise perspective. NASA is actually looking at 5G as an important part of their space program. There's tremendous amounts of data that are being generated 250 miles north of us in the upper atmosphere that is being beamed down to, uh, to terrestrial networks. And those networks are being connected more and more by 5G. There's actually a lot of provisions in the 3GPP standards for release 15, I think also in release 16, that does blend and blur the lines between orbital communications and terrestrial communications, all enabled by, um, by 5G. Now, if you pull the covers off a little bit and understand what's different in 5G, the big difference um, is that we're seeing more and more usage of MIMO, massive MIMO and, and high frequencies to be able to enable uh, millimeter wave level communication, so shorter, shorter bandwidth, uh, higher throughput in data. The higher you go in the frequencies, um, now you're into a space that NASA really actually does care quite a bit about. They've also developed some of their own IP that they were looking to commercialize and we became a good, good partner for them to look at doing that. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's throw a wrench in this whole conversation for a second. Sure. And that is, um, there's a lot, there, there's a segment of America or there's a segment of individuals that believe that 5G is like this big conspiracy to control people. Um, perhaps it even caused coronavirus or, you know, just, you know, some tinfoil hat stuff. Sure. Wondering if you could kind of just like, why do people think that? Uh, is that true? I don't think it is, but is it? And uh, let's kind of just break that down for sure. a couple minutes. Sure. That's all we so need the, to give it. <laughs> yeah, the, the industry, um, the, the, the wireless industry has had many conversations on this matter, and they're better informed than I am in this. I, I would point anyone who's interested in learning more about this to CTIA's website about 5Gs and the you know, potential harm or lack of harm of, uh, of using higher frequencies in, in these future radio networks. That's a more informed position to look at. From, from my standpoint, and having looked into a lot of scientific reports, listening to a number of podcasts similar to yours about the matter, there, there doesn't seem to be, indicate any sort of need to be concerned or uh, be uh, worried about the effects of 5G radio frequencies on, on human beings. It's relatively safe. Now, if you're standing in front of a big radio, that's microwave energy that your body's absorbing, and I, I guess there's gonna be some problems, but most of those radios are up several you know, several sure. hundred feet in the sky, so you're not gonna really necessarily get exposed by it. Um, but I'm not, the, you know, I'm not the expert. I would only point people to where experts who have studied this uh, in depth um, have concluded using scientific means uh, on what's safe and, and what to be concerned about. And that, that, yeah. the, I think the best source of information for that today is uh, CTIA. Yeah. Well, so, you know, the world's changed quite a bit in the last four months uh, under the pandemic and, you know, where companies six months ago might have been thinking about how they uh, get their offices ready 
um, and, um, you know, build outs and so forth. You, you know, there's definitely a more of a focus now to working from home. And so I'm curious, like, how does 5G work in that scenario from a company standpoint, right? So like, you know, sure, us as individuals can all have, you know, 5G networks on our cell phones or so forth. But when you start mm -hmm. thinking about how a business operates and starts operating in this work from home scenario, it's really going to be uh, employer led, right, to make sure that their, um, their employees have the information they need, et cetera. You bet. You bet. We, uh, one of our partners is a group called Avanade. And Avanade was a joint venture started by Accenture and Microsoft, I think now over 20 years ago. And uh, we invited Craig Roslin and Aaron Reich from, from Avanade to come meet our batch early on in our program, so several weeks ago. And what Craig was sharing was pre-COVID, um, most of the Avanade customers, the clients that they had, had uh, you know, digital transformation plans that stretched out into 2021. So let's say you know, nine to 18 months out from now. Uh, and then COVID hit. And all of a sudden, those plans that are stretched out to 2021 literally were brought in in some cases to like August of this year. Hmm. The fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, COVID has, despite, you know, all of its uh, harm that it's caused to our population, it has certainly put at risk the ability for people to enter the office place and in many cases, data centers. And so what CIOs and, uh, and, and leaders at clients that Avanade supported, and I guess this would be true for any enterprise globally, have realized is that they're going to have to rely more and more on automation. They're going to have to rely more and more on remote capabilities. That's done through communications. And so uh, in many respects, um, and, and this is not qualified, just my opinion at this point, but I think in many respects where an enterprise may have been thinking about a private 5G network in the future as a means for connecting its, uh, its warehouse or its manufacturing processes, they're looking at accelerating that in the event that a remote work situation becomes more prolonged. And as a result of that, that's spurring a whole new uh, you know, generation of industry that's coming around that. So uh, COVID has been, uh, from, a, from an industry standpoint, has put a big spotlight on vulnerabilities that um, enterprises are looking at patching up and preparing for uh, in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, you know, what are what are some things with, that you think about right now or that your organization thinks about? Like, you know, so obviously the planning for this um, program was pre-COVID and, and now that we're in COVID and um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing or the opportunities that you're seeing for startups and companies to really think through how they uh, just continue to grow um, under the current climate? Yeah, um, so we... Pre-COVID, we had uh, ambitions to have, you know, a, a working space hosted by T-Mobile, our partner. Um, that obviously was paused with COVID. Uh, it was safer for us all to work remotely uh, for the duration of this program, but we'll likely do the same for our, our fall batch that starts in early September. It's actually worked out really well for our teams. We've got a lot of work done in, in the 12 weeks we've been together. <clears throat> but to answer your question, wh what I have seen is, uh, industries like augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality um, are moving from pretty cool, nice to have, to becoming really core uh, to business use cases. I mentioned tactile earlier, it's just one example of many that are out there. And, and I think COVID has accelerated that. Um, this experience today on Zoom is, you know, is a, is a flat two-dimensional experience. We have you know, video and audio, but it's not a far stretch to say that in the next time you and I chat, 
hopefully that it, it could be an augmented reality experience where you and I feel like we're virtually in a room together. Uh, in yeah. fact, maybe your users and your video users are, are feeling that as well. That technology exists today. It's being more refined. One of the biggest bottlenecks though was connectivity. I'm not sure if you've ever tried augmented reality before, but I have, and if the, if the experience isn't really smooth and the connection isn't that strong, it kind of gets jittery and I get a little like lightheaded by it. Sure. Um, when you get to a full 5G network that has over a gig and a half big gigabits of second, per second of uh, bandwidth and latency performance of sub 10 milliseconds, that experience just feels like you're actually in that you know, virtual environment or augmented environment. So those industries are actually, I think, primed to really take off and it's being driven by real business need. Um, and ironically enough, um, I'm not sure if you caught the news yesterday, but a leading Microsoft executive, uh, Peggy Johnson, who was setting up business development, is now taking on the CEO role at Magic Leap. And I saw that. Peggy, and wasn't she Satya, like first big hire too? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, she came over from Qualcomm and she uh, actually took over Microsoft Ventures and, and enabled that to become M12 and has done a lot of great things for, for Microsoft. And, uh, I don't want to speak on her behalf, but I, I can certainly say looking from the outside in, she sees the opportunity where uh, virtual reality, augmented reality and, and such is going and, and jump ship to, to go and, and pursue that with Magic Leap. I think she's going to do fantastic work there. But that's just yeah. one one example of um, of an industry that may have looked kind of science fiction-y and kind of cool, but you know, $1,000 headset from Oculus Rift to really make it happen. We're now seeing um, players like Enreal coming out with $500 augmented reality glasses that plug into your phone. That's a far stretch from a $3,000 HoloLens device, as an sure. example. Now, it doesn't have $3,000 worth of capability, but it's got a great amount of capability in a $500 headset that more people like you and I could go and appreciate and not have to break our bank in buying it. The other big trend that I'm seeing is that IoT has become so, uh, started off as a very fragmented market. It's really starting to come together in a big way. And a lot of that is, again, my belief, going to be enabled by more and more 5G connectivity. The, the more of these devices that are connected to the cloud, whether it's on the far edge or in public cloud, the more that data being collected and made sense of using artificial intelligence, the more critical that's going to be to systems and manufacturing and transportation and supply chain in the future. And COVID, again, has put a big spotlight on that as a vulnerability that the enterprises that I've spoken to are quickly trying to resolve for the future. Yeah. 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 Interesting times. Well, uh, Jim, you know, this has been a really great conversation. I, I'd love to leave it with um, a question that I ask everybody. And that sure. is, what's a question that you have uh, that you'd like to ask our audience that they can think about as they go about their day? Sure. So Mike, the question that I would ask is imagine you're in a better connected world. What could you do tomorrow that you couldn't do today? And just think about the limitless possibilities of being more connected. And as an example, not to geek out even further, but when you look up in the sky today and look at a, a cell tower, that cell tower has the capability of connecting to at most 100,000 concurrent connections, 100,000 cell phones, 100,000 IoT devices, 100,000s or whatever. That same cell phone tower in the next, uh, next year or so, when it moves to a 5G platform, will be able to connect to over a million devices. So think about talking to your fridge, your toaster, your hairdryer, whatever ends up becoming connected to the internet. What would you do if you had unlimited capabilities of being able to plug anything into the internet and made sense of and create new experiences? Think about the next generation of mobile internet. Yeah. How far away are we from the matrix? 
not that far. <laughs> really, not yeah. that far. I mean, it, it, the matrix is all about connectivity and data and experiences and so on and so forth. And 5G is really going to be the, the big turning point for that. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, Jim, what are some good ways that people can get in touch with you or, or pay attention to what you're doing? Sure. Hit us up on, um, on, on Twitter. We're, we're there on LinkedIn, obviously. Um, our, our website is uh, 5goilab.com, OI standing for Open Innovation. Um, we're, we've collected a, a pretty small following, um, so we're going to start our, our bi-weekly newsletters out to the community about things that are happening in the lab, great developments, things to be aware of. Um, if you take anything away from today, the um, 5G piece of it is, is the glue that brings us all together, but I hope what I've impressed upon everyone is that behind the scenes, so much is changing beyond just the connectivity. There's a platform opportunity, there's a huge enterprise opportunity, and, uh, and we pride ourselves on being you know, leaders and thinking through what that is and then ultimately building the developer ecosystem around that. So we'd love for, for everyone to stay in touch and keep, uh, keep abreast of what we're pursuing. And if you're interested in future programs or future batches, if you're a startup, we'd love to talk to you. Excellent. Awesome. Jim, well, again, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Jonathan. I appreciate this. Thanks. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, everybody, thank you again for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Please make sure that you are subscribed on our website at tflabs.io. You'll get notifications about blogs and uh, podcasts like this. Also, make sure that you're following us on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, We're just at TF Labs. Uh, When you're listening to this, please do us a favor. Give us a review. Uh, Filling up those five stars goes a long way to make sure that other people are able to see uh, what we're up to and meet our amazing guests. Uh, I'm Jonathan G. Blanco. Thanks again, and we'll see you all soon.